0: Welcome back and uh, welcome to our final hour of the week. Open line Friday, 602 508 Looks like we're going to have a bit of a conversation on ethics. Nothing could be more fun for me. That would be great. But first, Millie in Phoenix. Millie, are you going to talk to us about ethics
1: No, I am not. I'm going to talk to you about rallies. Which
0: lead to ethical government. So, yes, you're talking to us about rallies, which is about ethics. Give it to us, baby.
1: Hey, so I wanted to call again to remind everybody about the America First rally tomorrow at 530 on Tatum and Shea. Um, It's going to be really, really fun. I actually just ordered a bunch of, um, well, I picked up today a bunch of custom car magnets that say really, really funny things like um, work harder, millions on welfare depend on you, (laughs) stuff about socialism. So I'm really excited to give those out tomorrow. I got like a hundred of them. So I'm expecting a pretty, pretty great turnout. And we're rallying for free speech, our second amendment rights and uh, a right, right for a closed and secure border. So I'm really excited. Um, Just wanted to announce it one more time before, before tomorrow. So I am just Really, really excited, so
0: you're the reason Thanks, Ronald Reagan said citizen was his favorite word because you people like you turn it into a verb, Millie, so the recap Tatum and Shay tomorrow five thirty p m pro america pro fun, yeah
1: exactly, exactly. It's a great way to like meet other people too because we're we all have the same mindset, and we're all using our voices for the same same purpose so we're really excited for for a peaceful fun rally so well, i'm sure we'll get lots of songs, and it'll be crazy so it'll we're really great. excited it'll
0: be great thanks call in monday and let me know how it goes okay
1: <laughs> we'll do there'll and, probably be some some and, exciting stories. and
0: then plan another one
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> we will thank we you want so you busy back.
0: millie but we appreciate <laughs> your dedication thank you dear
1: thank you so much for of everything.
0: course of course bless you All right, where am I going to next? Ed in Phoenix. Hi, Ed. Yes,
2: hello. Thank you for bringing up the topic of uh, Thomas Jefferson and the issues we have today with morality. Yes, sir. I I believe that uh, philosophy is probably the heart of where morality should begin, and I believe in a scientific philosophy. I think that's been... Uh, Pursued through Ayn Rand and Nathaniel Brandon and the objectivist philosophy, which turned into the libertarian political party. I think that atheism is an appropriate scientific conclusion, and from that, you can obtain uh, a rational ethics that uh, I think is superior to the theist approaches. Uh, that are less scientific than uh, the way Ayn Rand introduces it.
0: Interesting. Uh, Ed, uh, so you would um, you would consider yourself a follower of Ayn Rand? Ed, are you still there? Okay. Um, I'm sorry we lost you because I had an interesting – what I thought was an interesting follow-up. Um, so I'm sorry we didn't get you. But the follow-up I was going to ask you, Ed, and maybe you can think about it and get back to us – is if I did understand you right and you're a follower of Ayn Rand's, what is the one message? What is the one message that Ayn Rand stands for that you would communicate to others who believe in more traditional theologies as a, as an opening to convert them? What does Ayn Rand offer and stand for that is bigger or greater than the morality of the deists you say you don't find persuasive. I, that would be my follow-up. I'd be, I'd be curious to know what your answer is to that um, or anyone else who is a follower of Van Rands and wants to take a stab at it. Uh, uh, okay, where am I going to next? Let me, do, um, let, me do t- let me do Tim and Peoria. Hi, Tim.
3: Seth, how are you?
0: I'm well. How are you?
4: I'm doing well. I just wanted to piggyback on your comment before you went to commercial uh, last time, and it was the uh, it was Washington's uh, position on on religion. And someone one of your callers had mentioned to be a moral person is to have uh, religion in your life. And I think this is uh, the the part of the hypocrisy on on the conservative side, and that is to say that uh, all problems, uh, whether they be racism, whether they be guns, whether they be the failing of schools, all comes down to the fact that religion has been abandoned from schools. And I just think that's uh, hypocrisy, because they pick and choose who or what quotes they're going to use from our founding fathers, such as Washington. In fact, many, unlike herself, choose to omit uh, Washington's position uh, on religion and even Jefferson's position on religion and that it does not have a place in government so much. We forget that in the First Amendment, there is uh, an element that talks about Congress making no law uh, uh, with respect to religion. And I think that, it, that religion itself is uh, a personal belief. And so long as it's not abandoned from the home, uh, I just don't see a place with, uh, for it in most of our institutions only because I think it clouds judgment and it creates p- uh, factions within uh, government and within other institutions that can be damaging as we are seeing today. Uh, just you know, Again, my, my opinion, and that's coming from a person who was raised uh, Catholic.
0: How uh, far do you take that, Tim? Would you... Uh would you uh, abandon the practice of uh, the pledge of allegiance in schools because it talks of one nation under god
4: no when i look at the pledge of allegiance uh, i think it was in 1954 when uh, a reverend uh, a if i remember correctly talked about the addition of under god in the pledge and i think that when eisenhower signed it signed off on it i thought it was okay i don't think that we can go away from uh, you know, our foundings when it comes to religion, but I just go back to our founding as being one uh, predicated on on the finding of riches, uh, such as uh, precious metals. Uh, if you look at the settlement of Johnstown, or sorry, Jamestown, mercantilism, and so on and so forth. But then when I look at West Virginia v. Barnett, uh, I see that it is a case that uh, many schools should follow. I don't think that we should abandon the Pledge of Allegiance in school. I think that if you want to say it, I think that every student should be afforded the opportunity to say it. But if you choose not to, then you shouldn't be called out or stared upon, nor should you be dismissed from class.
0: But nor nor has that been the law since 1943, right? that is true. Okay. So yeah. so, so <laughs> that's the best yeah. Virginia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, There's not a lot of radio hosts you can call that actually intimately know West Virginia v. Barnett, but I can quote from it by memory. <laughs> Maybe the only long but, talk so show host so that can. Those that can who begin coercive elimination of dissent about. soon find themselves selves eliminating dissenters. Enforced unification of consent maintains only the unanimity of the graveyard, said Robert Jackson in that decision. How am I doing Tim, that's off the top it of my
4: great. Hand. No, no, and I and I like it. You know, again, okay. you know, I, I can't I can't battle with it. I I, I would never try to. I, you know, Barnett's one of those cases. It's one of my top ten cases that every high school student should know. Uh, I think it's one of the top ten cases that every teacher should know about. Um, again, I don't want to see the abandonment of God in, in, in no way. But again, when I hear people say that the ills of our country are simply Uh, blamed on the absence of religion in schools and in other institutions. I find that to be uh, myopic.
0: I find it to be too easy, and I think for some of the reasons you said, but you said a word, and I don't know if I followed the the train of thought that I should have, Tim, or if maybe you (laughs) wanted to use a different word, but you used the word right-wing or the conservative hypocrisy on this issue, and I missed what the hypocrisy was.
4: Well the hypocrisy is that they choose you know they um they seem to maybe i didn't i shouldn't have used the word hypocrisy i i, I think that the the use or the blaming of the absence of religion uh you know when it comes to being moral people your one of your again your caller said to be moral is to is to have religion if I remember him if, if that would be I, too I broad of a wrong. statement
0: if that was the way it was uttered, of course we know that that doesn't mean mean much right bin laden was about yeah. as religious as they come
4: some of the worst people that right, we know right, in right, american history right. in american know, history we people. can play
0: that game as well of, course, but
4: of I, course i think we just have to sway away from the idea that being moral equals that one has religion in his or her life because i think again it's too easy and i think that comes from people not studying religion when I look at, you know, the, the global war on terrorism post 9-11, actually post 1993, uh, you know, and the first attack on the World Trade Center and going all the way back after we left Afghanistan and when bin Laden was emboldened after our abandonment of that country, uh, you know, religion itself has many uh, wars tied to it. And it doesn't matter. If it's it's, it's a great, you know,
0: it's a great point. And as a dear friend of mine named Brian often asks me, It's a question that's very difficult to answer. Um, With every given religion, you ask yourself, you know, what does a good X do? What is the mark of a good X? What's a good Jew? What's a good Catholic? What's a good Protestant? What's a good Muslim? Is it one who adheres to the most extreme and radical concepts of it, fundamental concepts, or one who believes in reform? Portions of the show are brought to you by Trades Unlimited. Did you know foam roofs here in the Valley are a great option? That's where my friends at Trades Unlimited come into play. Not only do foam roofs help insulate from our extreme Arizona heat, but they also help insulate your home from exterior noises. And most importantly, they protect your house from water leaks. I've had the privilege to go down to Trades Unlimited's offices and warehouse and meet the team over there. And I can tell you, they are great people. More than impressed with their character and their craftsmanship. They have an A-plus rating at the Better Business Bureau. And I can tell you why after meeting with them. You can just tell. Character, class, good people, competent. Most of their business is by referral or previous customers. And that, to me, always tells a lot about a company. But we're happy to have them on radio here, too. The hot summer sun is actually perfect for foam recoats. Protect your roof before the foam beneath the coating gets compromised. Don't wait until it's too late. Call my friends over at Trades Unlimited at 480-483-1775. That's 480-483-1775. Or find them online at... Tradesunlimited.com. Rob is in surprise. Hello, Rob.
2: Hi, Seth. Happy Friday. Happy
0: um, Friday.
2: <laughs> indeed. Happy day after the Titanic sank. Um,
0: yes.
4: Hold on, go. uh, anyway,
2: i um, been listening to your callers. And by the way, I've been listening to the show all week. I've just been kind of tied up. I love that you had Evan say it back on. Oh, and by the way, our podcast will have Mark Corian on Monday night, so that should be fun. Great. Um, I was thinking about what Ed had talked about, you know, regarding ethics and morality and Ayn Rand and atheism and objectivism, and this is where um, I, I think, uh, because I've been studying for my Hillsdale College course, Immanuel uh, Kant, uh, he had some really interesting thoughts about morality, and, and I think... And this isn't Kant, this is me uh, saying that I think there needs to be uh, a decoupling of morality from religion. And I think that it's based on what uh, Kant was talking about, because he had broken down or or separated, you know, uh,
0: moral laws
2: from scientific laws. And he also kind of broke down things based on, oh, I think Nathan Schluter called it like a, a categorical imperative. Where you had three things: the laws of nature, which were based on morality, which morality follows a universal duty for the sake of moral law in and of itself, and that duty itself is the necessity of an action done out of respect for the law when it and and it takes uh, you know personal feelings and inclinations out of the equation. Um, and it's based, that part is based, the moral law is based on the laws of nature, which I think. And again, correct me if I'm wrong. If I'm uh, interpreting interpretingmanuel Kant wrong, and by the way, he's probably the most complex guy I've ever read about, um, and an influence for you know later German idealism in the 19th century, uh, you know to include guys like Hegel and Karl Marx and so forth. But um, the, the other uh, two things were uh, the character. Categorical imperative having to do with person, and, and I think his mission there was to say, don't use people, because people are an end unto themselves, and they're not things to be used. And boy, couldn't, uh, couldn't a lot of people learn from that. Um, I think uh, Kant also had talked about uh, you know, history providing an opportunity for this moral and scientific law to come together to create some sort of a, a certain view of history. But um, I think I think one of the big mistakes a lot of people make is, and, and some of the callers had mentioned this, is that uh, whether you're atheist, Christian, Jewish, uh, Buddhist, uh, or, or whatever, morality isn't necessarily based on any religion. And I, this goes back to the great philosophers, you know, way back when, that um, morality has a lot to do with the human I guess, condition and, you know, the sense of right and wrong that has nothing to do with religion. Mm. What, what do you think?
0: <laughs> uh, well, can you restate that again, Rob?
2: <laughs> well, I know it's a little complicated. And actually, I didn't even want to talk about that so much. No, I'm kidding, of course. I'm I kidding, of course. Help no, Kant, I'm, I'm because... of
0: course kidding. I I, I don't know. Okay. Ka- I, I don't know Kant. I... I, I, I I don't know any philosophy after the year five hundred common era. Oh, okay. <laughs> I oh, don't know no, anything that's... after Aristotle well. and the Talmud. That's it. That's my wingspan, <laughs> brother. Anything after no, that no, is that's, modern. That's modern, and I don't do it the is. moderns. I just don't do the moderns.
2: Well, that's one of the beauties of the Hillsdale course, is because they start with you know Plato. Aristotle. Yeah, of course. No, I, I and I say that
0: a little tongue in cheek, but my understanding of the categorical imperative. Uh, And whether it requires God or not, that's a a big topic. Uh, Look, uh, the categorical imperative to me is nothing more really than the golden rule writ large. Isn't at the end of the day the categorical imperative something like you have to think of every action you engage in as what the effect would be if the entire world engaged in it? Isn't that mm-hmm. what the categorical imperative is?
2: Well, yeah, it's probably many things. And I think, again, um, when...
0: To uh, me, if it's that, earth. it's the golden rule. Do you need the golden The golden rule comes from a principle, in, in two principles, really, but uh, both found in the Bible. Can you do it without the mm-hmm. Bible? You bet. You mm-hmm. bet. You can.
2: Yeah, I, I think the whole autonomy thing where uh, Kant was sort of talking about, autonomy being sort of independent from your own personal happiness. um, Part of this reminded me of Ayn Rand, that, you know, autonomy has to do with self-law, self-rule, things for your own good, persons as an end to themselves. uh, And and that kind of hit, in a way, I think, the objectivism that Ayn Rand has been talking about. But I think one of the points has to do with, you know, atheism, and morality, uh, you know, a lot of people make the point that, uh, well, you know, you can be a moral person and still be an atheist. But um, I think that, that that those are two separate issues. I think that uh, atheism is kind of a choice based on, uh, well, I would encourage them to read C. S. Lewis and uh, a few of the other folks that used to be atheists and became very, oh, <laughs> the. Uh, the Apostle Paul. Yeah, no, that's uh,
0: the way to do it, certainly. certainly.
2: Yeah. Also, and and again, this is kind of a separate thing. When uh, President Joe was talking about banning assault weapons, I I thought, how absurd. Okay, so we're going <laughs> to... What's an assault weapon? Well, that's anything used to assault somebody, right? So we're talking, you know, frying pans, baseball bats, screwdrivers, hammers, uh, Ming vases, chairs. Well, in my case, Rottweilers, ice stick, brass knuckles. And
0: I keep thinking, these are the idiots in charge of us." Oh, Rob, oh, that's so funny. That's a good point. Also, it gives me a kind of insight into the kind of house you have. You mentioned Ming vases. I didn't hear you mention knives. OK, Rob, good to know. I'm Seth Leebson. We'll be right back. want to thank Solar Sandy, one of our newest sponsors. She's the woman who brought integrity back to solar in Arizona. Solar Sandy actually figured out how to truly zero out your power bill. It's so important when going solar, you do it the right way. Solar Sandy is the right way. Integrity and smarts. She has the formula. She wants to put more of your hard-earned money back into your pocket. When you go solar with Solar Sandy, she will pay 12 months of your solar payments, any portion of your power bill for the first 12 months, and the first 50 families will receive a $1,000 bonus at signing. That's that's right. No solar panel payments, no power bills for 12 months, and a $1,000 bonus at signing. No better time to go solar with Solar Sandy than right now. Go to AskSolarSandy.com. That's AskSolarSandy.com. Mike is in Scottsdale. Hi, Mike.
3: Hi Seth, thank you for taking my
0: call. Of course,
3: I love your topic that you're on right now about uh, Christianity, or you know, uh, uh, and, and and the things of of, of uh, uh, being being uh, uh, oh, good people, good good person, whatever. Yeah. Uh, in America, um, one of the things that I wanted uh, just to throw out there that um, uh, I I think that that there's a move movement in in the United States right now to try and try and teach everybody that they can possibly teach that America was not founded on Christian Judeo Christian principles, and that all of our founders were deists and were not Christians. And that's like the furthest thing from the truth. And, and I think you being friends with Bill Bennett would know that too, because I think Bill Bennett said the same thing. Um, but the, I think there were two, maybe two of our founders that were that were not necessarily Christian, but uh, but still held to Christian values. Uh, even even uh, they're, they're they're attacking now Washington. He 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 had a book of prayer. He, he said so many prayers. They even have all his prayers in this in these books.
0: Oh yes, and they haven't read his, his farewell diaries. address, obviously. Right.
3: Exactly, and, and so you know he was very Christian and. Relied on God for everything he did, and and so did Lincoln, and so did all all the founders of of our great country. And if you go into the House of Congress and you look at the frieze all the way up 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 by the ceiling, there's a frieze all the way around, and it's got a sculpture of Moses and the sculptures of all the apostles, and the they're all around. They never show it on TV, but and then and then they've got the the. Ten Commandments up there. It's yep. all in same in, in the Congress. Supreme you Court. Also in the Supreme Court. Them. You bet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and every, just about every building or 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 monument in Washington has something Christian on it. Uh, and I think maybe you can help me. This De, De Taupeville, the French guy that came over because he was trying to figure out why America was. So he great said religion and was our so first successful.
0: institution. Yeah.
3: Yeah, and and if we ever lost it, America mm-hmm. would be gone. Yeah. And and so you know. Um, the uh, I think I think America went downhill back in the '60s when they took prayer out of schools, and when the atheist Madeline Marie O'Hare uh, uh, started her attacks on on America. That's that's when we went into our descent uh, as a nation. Uh, we even used to teach uh, in our public schools; used the Bible was one of the main things that they taught out of. Um, and and so you know. Uh, what that one gentleman two two times uh, two two gentlemen ago there um there two callers ago he he i understand what he was saying and i agreed with most of what he said except for that christianity <laughs> shouldn't be in america oh, i'm sorry that, that america was founded on, on christianity you, look this is this they, is
0: such such a good and important topic mike thank you and i'm torn between um you know uh, the kinds of things that you, the caller referenced and, and the kinds of things you're saying. But there is also a common sense to it all, isn't there? There is a common sense to it all about religion and morality and the presumptions therein. What do I mean by that? Well, Dennis Prager talks about if you're walking down a dark street alone at night and of a sudden you hear three – late teenage boys walking behind you, and there's no one else around, how much more comforted are you if you are to find out they just walked out of a Bible meeting? Bible study. There is something to that, the presumptions. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, Bill. Thank you all. I want to do these next two segments uh, as a tribute and tie back, call back to my monologue in the first hour where we were talking about how pregnant the air of political philosophy and the understanding of the founders. America is how important all that is right now when you see the assaults arrayed against it now, not just in our culture but in our government and at the top levels of spokesmen from our government, as in the U.N. ambassador, American ambassador to the U.N. And, I, and, and it ties back to the anniversary that, um, that this week presents me as being the 32nd anniversary of the day I walked into the door of conservatism. It was the day I was introduced – to the teachings of Harry Jaffa, whose combined interests in Aristotle and Lincoln perhaps made him one of the greatest political science professors of the American founding, teaching the, what, what the 1776 Commission calls the true understanding of the original intent of the founding. Harry Jaffa created that. The editors at the Claremont Institute and Hillsdale that wrote the 1776 Commission report, they were all students of Harry Jaffa's. Larry Arne was. Charles Kessler was. It was a privilege of me to become one, which is the beginning of my introduction to conservatism. And Harry was consumed with, among other things, not just the American founding, but what was meant by truth in the Declaration of Independence and what we should glean as the importance of it in the preservation of Western civilization. In that lecture, 32 years ago, Harry Jaffa said exactly this. Listen to how prophetic he was. There is one thesis that is dominant in the liberal arts curricula today, one that runs through all the social science and humanities departments, namely political science, economics, literature, religion, philosophy, history, psychology, sociology, anthropology, That thesis is that there is no objective knowledge of or rational ground for distinguishing good and bad, right and wrong, just and unjust. This was 32 years ago. All such judgments are said to be value judgments concerning which reason has nothing to say. The essence of liberal education consists, at least at first, in becoming a dilettante of the aesthetic ideals expressed in art architecture, sculpture, music, literature, and learning to savor the variety of lifestyles expressed in books, religions, philosophies, and cultures. What education displays for us is the variety of forms that human imagination and human taste, including moral taste, takes. But it never tells us that one is truer, more beautiful, or more just than another. It never tells us that human choice can be guided as the signers of the Declaration of Independence believed it could be, by the truth about man, God, and the universe. So the question then becomes, um, how do you know the truth? How do you know what the self-evident truth is? And that's where you get into what Harry Jaffa called the miracle of the common noun, or the miracle of the proper noun. It was one of the most famous lectures Harry gave. And he says, For Aristotle, the eye really sees, because it apprehends the form of the thing seen without its matter. The signet ring leaves its form in wax after it has been removed. The form in the wax is no less the form of the ring, because the ring is no longer there. Also, a mirror records the form of the thing or person who stands before it. Hobbes says that the form in the mirror is an illusion, and he ridicules the very idea of a disembodied species. He does not grant that anything separated from its matter can be real. But we in the world of common sense, we know that what we see in the mirror is genuine. The fact that the form of a thing can be separated from its matter is the very heart of of human understanding, and of human intelligence. Without this possibility, modern science itself would not be possible because all science presupposes the detachment of the mind from its object as a condition of human speech about the object. Human speech about an object presupposes that we employ common nouns. To say, for example, that this is a chair, I'm pointing to a chair, implies that there is an infinite number of possible chairs, each different from this one, and yet all equally chairs. The mind has abstracted the idea of the chairs from the visible forms of particular chairs, just as the eye abstracted the visible forms from their matter. The mind frees itself from all sense perception every time it employs a universal, that is, common noun, the common noun. The ground and basis of what we all call common sense is at once the principal ingredient of the most ordinary experience and the greatest of all miracles. It exhibits the mind detached from matter, understanding material things just because it is detached from them. In understanding that something is a chair, to repeat, there are are an infinite number of possible chairs, but we understand that there is no particular color that makes a chair a chair. If any element in the idea of the chair had color, then to that extent the mind could not comprehend chairs. For the idea of a chair is to be the intelligible basis for perceiving any possible chairs. It must be abstracted from all sensible qualities. Only then will it be seen that all chairs are equally chairs. Only when we see that there is an infinite variety of possible human beings, each equally human, do we begin to understand the difference between the human and the non-human. Only then can we see that men are not dogs, or hogs, or horses, or gods. Only then can the moral function of human intelligence begin to function. Can you stand that lecture? Do you think this culture can? If we're going to have any understanding of what truth is and saving of Western civilization, we're going to have to appreciate this. What common sense actually means and teaches us, and what the introduction and injection of irrelevancies like color can do to destroy every notion, not just of inanimate common nouns, but of animate human beings. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Thanks for uh, bearing with me as we do a little political philosophy. As I like to say, and I think I'm right about this, you may not be interested in it, but you look at the Marxism, you look at the neo-Marxism, you look at critical race theory, you look at all that surrounds you politically. You may not be interested in political philosophy, but it sure as heck is interested in you. So you must get interested in it. And it begins with understanding the importance of saving our Western political philosophy, because it is that political philosophy that gave us this country. And until, oh, about 30 or 40 or 50 years ago at most, was the chief bulwark of keeping it free, understanding it. I keep relying on Harry Jaffa. This show in part has been a tribute to him because of what he did for me. He writes, the Constitution did not exist merely for its own sake as though it were a set of procedural rules with no better goal than letting people do what they pleased with what they pleased. It was intended to serve the interests of the principle of liberty to all, which meant that the Declaration of Independence was the word fitly spoken, which has proved an apple of gold to us for those that know their proverbs or for that matter Abraham Lincoln. The Constitution and the Federal Union, the Constitution created in 1787, Lincoln said, are the picture of silver subsequently framed around the apples. The picture was made not to conceal or destroy the apples, but to adorn and preserve the apples. The picture was made for the apple, not the apple for the picture. The Constitution was made for the Declaration, not the Declaration, for the Constitution. Little Lincoln, little Jefferson, little American history. We could do worse going into this weekend having a little of that. I thank you for giving us your time, mind, heart, soul, thoughts, calls, feedback. God bless you all. Until Monday, class dismissed.